everyone, it's Steve Portable. The podcast has been sitting quietly for a little while now, I guess, but I'm back today with two quick announcements and a bonus. First of all, new episodes are coming. I don't know exactly when, but the wheels are in motion. I'm looking forward to some great conversations about leading user research, and I'm excited to share those with you. Second, I have a new book just about to come out. I wrote Interviewing Users in 2013, and it's become a classic text about user research. Now it's 2023, 10 years later, and lots of things have changed, so I've updated it. The book, Interviewing Users Second Edition, will be published on October 17, 2023, and is available now for pre-order from Rosenfeld Media at a 15% discount. The bonus is my conversation with Lou Rosenfeld, where we talk broadly about user research, as well as the second edition of Interviewing Users. This interview originally appeared on the Rosenfeld Review podcast. So, welcomed by the sound of the trumpeting elephants, we'll go there now, and I'll see you back here before too long with more episodes of Dollars to Donuts. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. You might have guessed that. More importantly, I have a special guest today. It's Steve Portugal. Steve, hello. Lou, hello. I think this is at least number two, maybe number three, but it is of of your guest appearances. You're one of you're on the leaderboard for the Rosenfeld Review. But um, this is a special occasion because. Steve, who you may already know, you probably almost certainly know, wrote the now classic Rosenfeld Media book, Interviewing Users, 10 years ago, 2013. Well, the second edition is now out. Well, it's almost out. Technically, it is on pre-order at 15% off. The, the formal launch date is October 17th, 2023. We're very excited about about that, and we're very excited to have you here, Steve. Uh, great and, to see you, Lou. Great to talk with you. Yeah, and talk over you. It's our it's our first second edition, and uh, it's great to commemorate that uh, decade um, and look at what's changed over that decade. But I, I before we get into what's different and what are the nuts and bolts about the book, you know, it it occurred to me that not everyone knows you. Uh, or knows what you do, uh, you're at this point where you, you've kind of reached this level of, well, you know, he's a famous guy. But even famous guys do stuff. Like they got to earn a living and they got to figure out the stuff they know so that they can write about it. Mm-hmm. Well, what have you been up to? Uh, how do you know what you know? Isn't this a, yeah. it seems like a line from uh, Bojack Horseman, celebrities, uh, you, no, how do they know and how do they know it? Or Thank you. Like I knew that. you could yeah. help me out there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's right. Uh, <laughs> Pretty but close. we're getting some BoJack uh, experts uh, tearing us apart in the comments here. Um, <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am in my 22nd year of my consulting practice uh, as a user researcher. Um, so I'm, you know, with some frequency interviewing users, you know, helping companies learn things and and try to make sense of it and, and apply what we learn from users to their products, their services, 
how they think about their business or their culture or their brand. Uh, and as part of that, I also work to uh, help companies build a more mature research practice, go from wherever they are to wherever they, they, they're going to be. And sometimes that's just straight up teaching, mm-hmm. you know, the, the books and workshops, you know, are, are all connected. It's all different ways. I think of looking at the same, the same kind of uh, expertise and transferring that expertise. So I teach a lot of people and I interview a lot of people and, and, and those are really great in combination like there's one of the most, uh, I think, fruitful periods of my professional life was actually when I was putting the putting the wraps on the first edition 10 years ago. And I was just in this flurry of writing stuff, teaching people and doing research. And uh, there's nothing like teaching somebody how to do something and then going and screwing it up yourself. But because you've taught somebody else, you know, then you realize, oh, right, I've I've explicitly articulated this point or this principle here, um, and uh, and and then so then being able to write that or writing something and then being able to teach it to somebody because it's fresh. Like every time you kind of engage with that same bit of wisdom or practice with through a different lens, it gets the writing gets better, the teaching gets better, my own practice gets better. Yeah, I always felt like it was. I've been in the same boat, and I, I've always felt like it's a three-legged stool. It's uh, writing, teaching, consulting. You take one of those away, and the others can collapse. Um, I wonder um, if you have been in a position where you've been interviewed as a user. So the reason I'm asking is, uh, I just got back from uh, a bunch of time in Vienna and Amsterdam, where I was. Uh, on two conference programs, uh, one for the Intersection Conference and, and one for EuroIA. I had a great experience at both, but one of the reasons I did it isn't because I necessarily have so much new to say uh, as much as I like to know as a conference producer what it's like to be on the other side and uh, kind of reconnect with the experience of being a speaker and therefore making sure I hopefully continue to have some empathy for people who are speaking at our events. Have you been in that sort of other side of the interviewing process and what's that done for you? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm in one right now, right? I'm being Mm -hmm. interviewed by you. Although being interviewed for a podcast is not like being interviewed as a user. Um, Yeah, uh, you know, I've been interviewed as a user. I've been interviewed as an expert uh which is somewhere in between these two um and 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 it's always interesting in those cases because i feel some tension between um you know i can see i you know you know how the sausage is made i can see what they're trying to do and um you know it, it gives you tremendous empathy you know people i've been interviewed about things as a user where they have their own idea of what they want to talk about with me. And I feel like the bigger problem is something else. And, um, right. And, and I mean, that's why we don't read off of a script, mm-hmm. right? We try to follow the person see where they are and look for these cues. Um, it's extremely tense to be in that, in, in that, in that chair. Like if this is about my experience and you're going to get me going to share about it authentically, 
Like I got stuff to tell you. And if you don't ask me about that or give me space for that, then I get, you know, I feel a little anxious. Um, but I also, sometimes I have to remember like, this is, this is somebody else's session, not mine. Like I'm being interviewed because they want something. So maybe I need to like turn it down, Steve, and just, you know, let them get to what they want to get. Um, and so it's not, it's not either any of those things. I think just sitting with that discomfort to use kind of an overworked phrase, like I think being in that mode of feeling, you know, having empathy for the person who's interviewing, because you know what you can see what they're doing and you know what mm -hmm. it's like and having empathy for the interviewer who the interviewee, I'm sorry, who has sort of a different set of feelings. Um, it's, I don't know, it's entertaining at worst. And I think insightful about it at best, um, you know, and you can always ask yourself, well, geez, what would I have done differently? I'm sure you came back from that conference. I mean, I know you, you probably have a list of like six things you're going to put into your program to, to either leverage a successful thing that you had or to like, you know, counteract a gap that you uncovered. Well, uh, you're being very generous. Uh, I, it's actually four things. But uh, um, <laughs> but let me ask you this. Uh, so in the 10 years uh, since the, the first edition came out, have you seen, I mean, obviously you've changed, but have you seen interviewees come with, uh, I was going to say different baggage, but that's not really, that's kind of yeah. a negative term. Like, do you find that, for example, they're more aware of, users being interviewed and have have something they want to communicate in a way that 10 years ago, maybe they were just more like deer in the headlights and, oh, whatever you ask me about, I'll tell you about, but I don't have an agenda. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have exactly an example of that, and, and I'm not sure I can put it on the 10-year trajectory, but I think, let's just say over the course of my career, I've seen people being interviewed, um, you know, know have more language their natural language looks more like kind of like consumer versus producer there is some blurring um and that may just be just what you know how the population is i mean i remember the first time interviewing somebody who talked about price point mm -hmm. and like that's a phrase that we all say and we just think that's normal and how normal people talk we in our industry um, yes yeah. right we you and i and probably many people who'll be listening to this whatever jargon. Um, and, you know, it's not like there's some, we all are consumers and, and many of us, there are, there are a few people who are just, I don't know, we have these, these, you know, they're just a pure consumer. They just sit around and drive minivans and wear sweaters and go to the, go to retail. Right. And like, we're all participating in this, in capitalism. I say all, but many of us are in the, production and consumption of things and whether we like it or in, not right people work in professions where they have access to the language that we used to think was just ours um and you see it kind of in the media um you know i, I remember sort of hearing uh people talking about their own consumption behavior as research there's that's sort of that's sort of natural to say like oh yeah i, I researched something before i buy it Right, but that you could go back to a period when no one would have framed their behavior that way. So the um, language is definitely maybe a little different. The um, sort of awareness of it sounds almost as if like 
like they have more expectations of products and maybe do more comparisons and maybe people are reviewing because uh, there's so many good sources of, of reviews, whether, you know, you're looking at, you know, wire cutter or, or uh, Amazon customer reviews, whatever it might be. Now, do these changes uh, make it easier for someone doing uh, interviewing of users? Does it allow you to sort of like leapfrog over some of the setup that you might have had to do 10 years or, or ago or, or further back? I don't think so. I don't see it as kind of easier. I mean, I think our job is to kind of meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. um, and so we always have to pay attention to that. And I mean, we're talking a lot about consumers and, and I have to be honest, I I rarely interview consumers in my work these days, given who's hiring me or you know where the emphasis is. I do a lot more I don't know that enterprise is the right word, but like employee experience and people doing technical work and and, and so on. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of feel like I put my foot in a little bit. Like, I don't know if the consumer quote, mm -hmm. as if that's a thing, is sort of easier to interview or is sort of more savvy about it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to so, backtrack a little bit, Luke. Well, oh, that's fine. I mean, do you feel that I mean, I'm really interested to know about the sort of transformation of your clientele. Uh, like you may not be working in consumer products like you might have been 10 years ago. Uh, maybe you're doing more enterprise. Uh, what do you think that says about the evolution of user research? Yeah, you know, I, I, I can answer it from the lens of a person with a tiny consulting practice, right? Why, why am I as a provider of services doing uh, less, less consumer and more kind of business to business or within business stuff? Um, and, you know, I, I guess I, I'm going to surmise that it is the growth of, of user research. I mean, you know, it's the growth of UX, it's the growth of, of products, sort of all the the disciplines that come together to try to make better products that are better suited to people. I mean, you know, how, how many, how many years ago did you start running a conference about, you know, design in the enterprise? Like it was, I think 10 years ago, you didn't have that, um, you know, without checking my timeline here. So, you know, over 10 years, um, you know, that part of that, that side of the industry is, is bought into this, is investing mm -hmm. in it, is doing it, is staffing it, is making a part of their process. So, you know, those changes, I think, you know, it makes sense that, yeah, as someone who's a research practitioner, like I'd be doing more of that because there's more of it happening than there was. Um, do, do you think that yeah. there's any kind of, like just picking on the, the whole consumer side of things, do you think the companies that might've brought you in 10 years ago don't, as much now because they have built their own practices internally. Yes. I mean, that is a significant change over 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Is the, the, is the massive, you know, at least up until 18 months ago, massive scope of some of these in-house research practices multiple layers of management leaders, specialties, you know, quantitative user research, qualitative user research, um, you know, folding in, market research, you know, these, these gross of these large practices. Um, 
Has that happened more in uh, consumer than enterprise? Probably. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have any data to kind of support that, but um, it seems sort of anecdotally to be to be a, a good take. Uh, but it's not like I don't do work with companies that have their own researchers, um, because most have something, um, and so you know the the differentiator that I have is going to vary between those well, companies. Well, but. usually, I mean, I, I guess. I'm asking you these questions to some degree because you're sort of at, uh, to use a horrible term, the, the, the leading edge in user research and certainly like, uh, you know, where you were brought in to do, um, to run interviews uh, years back. Uh, the same companies may now have the practices that you're being brought in to teach. Uh, and um, whereas other kinds of organizations may be, still bringing you in to, to, to lead interviews. Uh, looking ahead, uh, you have no data because I don't think you have a time machine, but would you, like 10 years from now, who would you guess is going to be bringing you in? Who's going to be at that, that edge of like, we are, My we nurse are is buying in your research. In. What's that? My nurse is going to be bringing me in for the, <laughs> from the day room in 10 yeah, years. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, where's where is the market going to go? And you know, I mean, I think the this interesting question. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Kate Towsey's wonderful term: "People who do research," um, which she's written about and is writing about. Oh, yes, um, she is. Yes, uh, I mean, the idea that research is done by researchers is like really, really quaint. Um, and, and I'm sure it's always never been done by just done by researchers, but, uh, you know, Kate creating the term people who do research, I think is a lovely way to formalize and acknowledge that the active research is an activity. It's also a discipline and a job title and a role, but it, it is an activity. Uh, it looks very different depending on who's doing it, um, depending on their background and their skill. Um, and so I've wondered for years, you know, it's not will there be research, but will there be researchers? Um, you know, and right now, right, there's a lot of hand wringing and anxiety about, you know, um, yeah, upheaval in the in the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, lots of people have sort of claimed very loudly the single reason that that is going on. I think it's I don't know what the single reason is. It seems very messy and cyclical, right? And I've Right. Uh, we've seen these pendulum swing back and forth over the years. Um, I, I don't know that I can predict who's going to be doing research in 10 years and what we're going to be calling them. And, you know, what should those organizations be um, be structured like? I think those are some really great problems for in-house research leaders who I those are people that work really hard to make organizational change through something that can be sometimes very tactical, uh, but trying to change how companies think and talk about users. Yeah, They're those, the ones that are going to be prototyping this. Th those in-house research leaders, all eight of them who are left. <laughs> They'll yeah, be Joe, left. In, all eight of them who remain. No. Right. Uh, I mean, I do think, you know, just the hand wringing is, is understandable and every explanation of the, the shitstorm of the last 18 months 
all I could say is uh, there's no one reason. It's all of the above. Everything that's been mentioned is true, and that and um, it's yes and is uh, is a phrase that I learned from you. Uh, but um, we should talk about what's different in the book itself, not just the industry. But we're going to do that after the break. Everyone, guess what? If you didn't know it before, you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review, and we'll be right back. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups, and that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth. We'll give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're going to find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. My guest is Steve Portugal. We're talking about his new edition of an old book, Interviewing Users, the second edition coming on October 17th of 2023. While we're talking about Steve's books, I will say they are books. In fact, he did another Rosenfeld book, Doorbells, Danger and Dead Batteries, just wonderful compilation of user research war stories. That's actually the subtitle. Uh, you should have it on your radar as well. But let's get back to interviewing users second edition. Uh, there's two new chapters, one on uh, on synthesis and insight, which is one of my all-time favorite topics. So I'm so glad you've taken a, a, a crack at it in the second edition. And also on uh, uh, the impact that you can make uh, with research. Let's start with the former. Why did you want to have that chapter on uh, on on synthesis and insight? Because you know I liked it, or some other reason. Yeah, I'm, I know I know who to appeal to, right? Um, Play to the masses, or to the mass yes. in this case. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was kind of briefly acknowledged as uh, there was some brief information in the first edition, and and um, you know I think in writing the first book, trying to figure out like how do you draw kind of a perimeter around what to cover and the. Um, you know, that book was sort of, you know, how to do, how to do the interview part. And, and I, I think I just chose like, okay, here's where we're done. There's more, there's, the work is ongoing. Um, and I think just over the years, it's felt like, boy, when I teach, 
Um, I really need to give people a handle on, on this. The, if you don't do the analysis and synthesis, you, you lose so much of the value of the research that you've done. So to kind of say, Hey, here's how to get really clear insights uh, and, you know, have, you know, strong rapport with people and, and really listen to them. If we don't talk about like, what do you do with that? Like, what do you really do with that? Um, then I think we're, I, I guess I was, it was an attempt to correct or revisit a decision I'd made earlier. It was just an obvious, like, oh, wow, I, I planted a seed kind of mm -hmm. 10 years ago, but I really want to explain how to do this. Um, you know, and I have just more experience teaching it and kind of walking people through it and seeing where the light bulb goes off for them or seeing where it doesn't kind of coaching them through that. And maybe I felt a little more confident that, yeah, I think I can unpack this for people in a way that um, they can be more mindful and intentional and kind of working their way through what is all the stuff mean and like what are we going to do with it what what's one nugget of advice that gives a taste of what you cover in that chapter you know that without sort of reading it over i you know i want to say something that i think well is don't you hate it or not don't you right. hate it steve as an author when some schmuck says oh on page 76 of right. uh, your book uh you said well, but, well you know what you said <laughs> Tell well, me about at least it. We could, at least we could turn to page 76 if that was the question. Um, you know, one of the things that I talk about and, uh, you know, we could go find out after where it is in the book, but, um, and I, I kind of sort of alluded to this. I think people don't realize that there's a process for analysis and synthesis. It's, it's that, and that analysis and boy, Lou, I'm going to give you more than a nugget here. <laughs> Analysis and synthesis are two very, very different things, uh, and you need to do both of them. Analysis is breaking bigger things down into smaller things. So you talk to somebody for an hour, and you come out with like 10 interesting things that they said. So you've taken one hour worth of material, and, and you've got 10 sentences. There. So that's breaking it down. Um, synthesis is putting that back together. And I think that's where sometimes people fail. They just They just tabulate the kind of things. They just break it down. And, and, you know, it gets into the impact stuff we can talk about in a minute, but the so what barrier that we have to kind of cross with our research, sharing research, um, 10 interesting tidbits or 10 for each interview tidbits are, are not actionable. The, the, the synthesis is, is building those 10 plus 10 plus 10, you know, into new things. Here's, and those are things that no one ever said. They're not quotes, they're not verbatims. They're your new ideas that are a new thing that you made by combining these broken up bits into a new framework or idea or model insight. Yes. And, and, and I feel like, uh, that's what insight is. I don't know if this is in the book, but I often, I often am angry at people that say, Oh, I talked to somebody and I got 10 insights. No, you got, you, you broke it down into 10 little takeaways. Insight is something that I think you produce anew by combining disparate stuff in a fresh new way. Uh, and that's the creative part of, of research. And I think it's um, it's underutilized. And I really want people to feel confident of that and really like lean into producing something new that captures a point of view that couldn't have come from anything else but the set of interviews. Have you like seen um, less experienced researchers struggle with that or is it not correlated with sort of you know ex like experience in in the school of hard knocks 
Um, you know, I think people that come from academia, you know, are steeped in analysis and synthesis, like far more articulately than I could ever be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the training. Um, I, you know, I think the, the, the number one question that I think researchers have is like, oh, well, I don't have time. There's not bandwidth. I don't have resources. Um, and so I think part of right-sizing, I, I guess I wish it was, there was more right-sizing and less, like, let's just meet the deadline. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this, you know, it's a, it's a bad cycle. Like research isn't valued. So we aren't given enough time and resources. So we undercut our process. So we produce less useful stuff. So we don't kind of, you know, we can't break that cycle. Well, but yeah, you know, sort of the other side of that coin is budgeting for it. Do do research managers, let's say, uh, even know how to budget for analysis and synthesis? You know, when they're yeah, doing and, a project and, plan, yeah. is it built in this many hours for, you know, do they know how to even do that? Uh, and I think this is in there somewhere, but the, the, the ratio I have long heard is two to one for every hour of data collection you do, you should budget for two hours of, of analysis and synthesis. Wow. Uh, and I, I think people would assume that the ratio is reversed. Um, but I would have, you know, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I really, when I have spent those hours myself, like you just, you just get to really interesting places that you couldn't have got to. Uh, and you can feel really confident after some interviews, like I got this, this is super interesting. We got these points. Here's the problem. We get it. We're confident. We're confident and comfortable. Um, but when you put the time in, like there's just a, there's just a whole other level of stuff there. Well, then I, you know. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you, you put that time and you got it. And then I assume you can communicate it for impact, which you probably couldn't do without the analysis and the synthesis. Yeah. I was just talking with a group of people last week about the, the we already knew that phenomenon that, that researchers sometimes encounter uh, where they report something and they're like, oh yeah, we already knew that. Um, and well, that, now you have data yeah. at least to support your intuition. I suppose that's a comeback, but yes, right. Validation is where you go. You go from an assumption to uh, to information, and that that is right. You reduce the risk by doing that. Yes, you do have data. Um, there's interesting cognitive biases, like uh, uh, hindsight bias, is where we we're conv- we convince ourselves that we already knew something, mm-hmm. and I think great research like feels true like it's 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 not we're not in the business of the big aha reveal surprise did you know that people have this and this coming out of their ears and they like to drink chocolate that's not what we're in the business of we're in the business of like crystallizing something fundamental and profound i mean not always but let's just say that's what i want to be in the business of doing Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you hear that you don't go whoa you know, you might, you might have a more like muted reaction. And I think sometimes that reaction shows up as like, well, oh yeah, we already knew that. Well, you, you didn't know it because you haven't acted on it and you haven't put it into your products and services and your design. Um, and, and so I think there's a burden on the researcher to communicate more clearly, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Delta, right. We, you know, it's the, we used to think this, but actually what we've learned is this. 
and they might look very, very similar. And this is uh, like, this is where our jargon shows up, not just price point and research, you know, those words that people use, but um, you know, we use words like uh, motivation or solution or faster or smarter. And we don't really unpack what those words mean to, if we, if we don't unpack what those words mean to our users and to our colleagues, uh, then we, we may sound like we're saying, things that we already know but if you can deconstruct those words and kind of share no, no no we're saying smart to mean fast and they're saying smart to mean efficient and efficiency is actually a different value proposition that's right than fast you know and that's those are the insights that we bring back but if we don't take time to unpack them and communicate them with some nuance then we don't get to have that impact that we're hoping to have speaking of words um, first of all, uh, it's so much fun to talk with you. And uh, I hope if you're listening to this podcast, you get a sense of Steve's choice of words. And uh, it's it's just like um, the sort of humanizing of research in a way that that is, I think, unique to your voice. I really appreciate it. I know that readers have always appreciated it in your writing because it comes, your voice is very strong in the writing. So those of you who are listening and are new to Steve's work, um, if you like the, what he's saying, you'll like reading him as well. It's a great voice. And so thank you for that, Steve. Uh, I want to move on to uh, the gift, speaking of our listeners. What did you bring? Because we do have to wrap up, and yeah. um, I, I, I know you brought something for them. What do you want to shine some light on? I would like to highlight uh, the show um, How To with John Wilson. It's a show, at least in the U.S., is on uh, HBO that just wrapped up its third season. It's a combination of interviewing, storytelling, observational research, documentary filmmaking. Um, you know, he, I don't, I'm not going to say watch this and you'll be a better researcher. I think it's, it's adjacent to a lot of what we're talking about. Uh, but he's a, a unique character that kind of goes around New York and kind of collects B-roll and, and like puts it together in stuff. And then, you know, seemingly serendipitously goes to like Burning Man and mm -hmm. maybe doesn't get the interview or goes here or goes there and finds all kinds of people and presents them. He's not entirely judgment free in how he presents them, but he's sort of fairly low key in encountering interesting sort of strange people. He meets with like a group of people that love the the film Avatar. And at first you're like, wow, what a bunch of weirdos. He sort of holds them up and lets us see them as weirdos, but he sticks with them. And, uh, um, you know, his hand is sort of invisible. And yet, uh, like, I find myself feeling a lot of empathy towards these people who are really passionate about a thing that they love. So why was I a minute ago, like marginalizing them? And so he, he does a lot with, you know, empathy and storytelling. And yeah, there's a lot in there that I just, I really, really enjoy. Yeah. I, I mean, I've only had a limited exposure to him, but he, he has sort of this observational superpower. I think that that makes me think of like Werner Herzog. I mean, not that they do it the same way, but they observe in a way that is really highlighted in their work. It's sort of the center of their work. And I think 
it's pretty cool, just even if you're not a researcher, but I would think as a researcher, it's gold. So Agreed. thanks for sharing that. Steve, it's great talking with you. Uh, thank you for your work. Thank you for the second edition. Uh, the rest of y'all, I hope you consider picking up a copy of it. It's on pre-order until October 17th and 15% off. Uh, if you already own the book, and we know that, we're actually going to be letting you know there's an even better deal for you. Uh, and we'll email you if, if you're in our database of owners of the first edition. We're even running a bunch of contests um, that are pretty cool. Just check uh, LinkedIn. You could search for Steve or me, and you'll, you'll see them. Uh, and um, great to talk with you, Steve. Looking forward to uh, getting the new one out there. And, uh, and then we can start thinking about the third edition. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. <laughs> oh, that, that nervous laugh. I love it. All right, Steve. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.